0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio.
1: We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, uh, new technology, the internet, uh, probably award shows later on tonight. uh, we, We shall see. Uh, tonight on the show it is Mr. James Noble. James, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am excited about this show. We've got uh, a bit to get through and some some interesting guests, which is always fun. Yep. Uh, we're also joined on the show by the interesting hi- hi- cyborg of uh, Brian and Cassandra. Cassandra is uh, currently sitting in traffic somewhere in Brunswick East, but <laughs> she will be here a little bit later to uh, tell us about Pokemon Go. Uh, I'll be with you also. I- I'm Warren Davies um, on the show tonight. Uh, we'll also be joined by uh, Al Kosa. Um He is a programmer at MIF, and they're actually creating a place for those looking for uh, a slightly different cinema experience um, these days, which is great. Uh, technology is a large part of that, and Al uh, will be joining us in a moment to talk through that. And also, uh, Under the Moon on July 20, Australia, will be trying for something pretty special, uh, we think. Uh, Kelly Tagalan from Code Club. We'll be gathering a large bunch of kids into one place for a technology record. Uh, We'll be finding out uh, a little bit about that soon. But before we do, we're going to have a look at some of the things that are making news, uh, both here and around the world. Uh, we probably are making news in a way with our, our election at the moment. Um, we've become a bit of a curio in terms of democracy around the world for our uh, our Bain Marie or of uh, <laughs> prime ministers, but um, also for the election results. Yeah. Um, James, there's some people are thinking we should do voting differently, perhaps.
2: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I've just come back from uh, Europe, and I was there during the uh, Brexit, and then I thought I'd got rid of a, got, got out of the political nightmare and just step straight back into another one. So, <laughs> um, it's yeah, but the, I think. Um, most of us will have voted on the weekend, and they've been trying to change the the way that there's ideas around of how we're going to change and make this more efficient and easier to make sure that things don't aren't done by mistake. So, of course, technology steps into the into this gap. Um, I don't know how you found it. I found it a little bit frustrating and difficult when i was doing
1: it i was yeah i queued up for a little while like yeah. i knew i left it a little bit late but the weird thing was because um, i did an absentee vote i, I could yeah. have just walked straight in but nobody was telling me that Yeah, well, so. I did
2: exactly the same thing oh like, ah, yeah. no <laughs> um and I, and and then i made a mistake on my ballot paper and said oh, can i have another sheet of paper and I said no no just cross it out and do and put another another number next to it and i'm kind mm. of like well will that mean that my vote won't count because i'm pretty sure that it's not going to be in the box, so give me another piece of. Pa- and they wouldn't give me another piece of paper. I oh I, no! I, I kind of feel like this is I'm losing my vote here. So I kind of had yeah. to chirp up a bit to give me another piece of paper. I'm going to tear this one up and then I'll do this again.
1: Yeah, so. I noticed uh, even Tony Abbott uh, had a little bit of trouble where he had to show somebody he, he had to show somebody trouble? next door to him how to vote, and uh, potentially yep. um, had some trouble there. So um, yeah, yeah.
2: And oh. the one to six versus the one to twelve, and the the, the, the way it's changed slightly, and, and people are giving. I've read in the papers that there were some people getting misinformed as to how to do it so that, that could then sway the vote and I think by I think uh, well you, you found this little bit of this little nugget of information about the it always chirps up every election about making it digital has been done around the world yeah um, why not yeah exactly um
1: in particular for um, pre-votes, I think it's um, really valuable. Um, and that quite often can shape an election as well, as the uh, mm. postal votes and so forth, which still kind of, you know, um, Mersey on in um, uh, from before the election. But um, around the world, uh, Philippines, they do it. Um, Estonia, more than 30% of voters um, cast their votes online um, at the most recent general election. Um, I did note, without sort of giving them a plug, there was a, a startup in Perth, um, and they've got a great, like, really secure way of casting the votes, which is which is really nice. So, yeah. it seems like Australia. I don't know if we're yeah. a progressive country, we could we could do something about. Paper this. and
2: pencil seems a little bit too um, blasé in today's society. There's an awful lot at stake.
1: It does seem a little bit strange. Um, one of the things that also seems strange is one of the major parties has decided to invest um, in technology in Australia and support uh, one of their industries, uh, in particular the video games industry. Um, there was a recent announcement that the Greens uh, want to invest $158 million, uh, into Australian video games uh, or the industry in particular, which is great. It um, was based on a parliamentary inquiry that found the video games industry in Australia was underfunded and worthy of more government support. So they cut funding surprise. recently,
2: didn't they? I mean, I mean, a few years ago, I remember a few of my friends worked at uh, some of the game uh, gaming um, co- companies in the city, and, mm. they got, and they all a lot of them got laid off because the, the funding had been cut from the government. I think it was um, the current. Government?
1: Well, now they'll all be driving Priuses and uh, and smiling again, which is great. Um, 20 million will be dedicated to reinstating the Australian Interactive Games Fund, um, a grant that was removed uh, by Joe Hockey in 2014.
2: Uh, I think because it says games in it, people assume it's sitting there. Playing games in front of a, t- in front of a, a screen for hours on end. And, yeah. And it's not like the video gaming industry is developing things that are creating other industries and creating other ways of communicating and inf- interacting with information. I think like, um, I mean, I'm excited that we've got someone that's doing some VR in the, mm. today and cause I've been Completely immersed in it the mm. last two weeks since I've yeah. been away, and seeing how that this is sort of 158 million dollars invested in it, it sounds like an awful lot of money. I mean, if you ever look at how much these things cost to generate, it's not actually that much. Like, but the, but the, what it can do and the and the way it can span across lots of different areas of industry and business, it starts somewhere, and this is where it starts in, for, for, in this particular area of, mm. of, of business. And I'm just am excited that people at the Greens are think, being thinking forward and and investing in this so that it can actually start to flourish in Australia because we are a pretty big melting pot of of multicultural and diverse range of people that can yeah. actually... We could, we've got a, we're a good test 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 lab, right? Google, yeah, Google already done it. They keep using us as a base to see what uh, the, rest of the
1: world does. We're good guinea pigs. <laughs> um, speaking of lifelines, uh, iOS ten, um, you can literally be a lifeline to somebody, uh, James, which will put a smile on your face as the uh, resident Apple fanboy. Yeah, I've been, I've been pigeonholed. Haven't I? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I picked you up in the pigeonhole on the way
2: through. Yeah, um, yeah. Like so, that means it's part of the default information at the moment. It's got the emergency services, which is. The ex- if you can't unlock someone's phone it will give you you can call an emergency service from from an iOS device now the new version actually also gives you that health information as well so if they can't contact anyone you can actually put your donor details on there I mean you can I think you can already do it already um, uh, through a website but obviously this also gives you that information at hand if, if anything needs to be done and you can and not only will it give you what t- blood you are any, anything you're allergic to. It now mm-hmm. also gives you whether you're willing to donate particular parts and save another life if, mm-hmm. if yours is, isn't salvageable.
1: I'm starting to feel like my organs are, are a waste uh, going into the ground or into the or wherever <coughs> they end up. So yeah, maybe maybe uh, iOS 10 will be the thing that gets me to do something <laughs> about that. Yeah, well, probably <laughs> pro- probably not my corneas um, <laughs> after looking at these little screens all the time. But yeah, uh, burnt out. Yep, they're a little bit burnt out. Um, one thing that uh, won't burn us out, um, Cass. You're excited about the launch of Pokemon Go. I understand.
3: I'm so excited. So that was just announced today. Uh, I was at mm. work all day and mm. then driving here, so mm. unfortunately, I haven't had too much of a play of it. But I did download download it on cellular. That's how much I was excited about it. Wow! Uh, <laughs> committing to the data. Means um, a lot. So for those of you who don't know, Pokemon Go is basically an app on your phone that allows you to play the popular game Pokemon where you you know catch Pokemon and train them but uh, it actually uses your phone and you have to walk around and you can actually do it so it's augmented reality so Mm. you're throwing Pokeballs and catching a Squirtle or a Charmander but you can actually it uses your camera to show you the room around you so it's bringing Pokemon to life so you get this these cartoon sort of so um, you can walk around as well inside the yeah, VR? Yeah, you have to walk around, otherwise you can't so move. So we can actually
2: map you moving around a room yeah, as well. Yeah, there's no
3: controls, because I was trying to play it at my desk. That's fantastic. Like, no, I wasn't, if my boss is listening. But, um, yeah. <laughs> have, researching, researching. <laughs> you actually have to to walk around to be able to use it, and then there are different pokey points. Pokey where, points. Yeah, where you can actually catch um catch different pokemon so i'm looking forward to getting into that and finding out a few more features
2: so when is this live
3: Oh, so this just this Sorry, came live yeah. in Australia today. today. Yeah, whereas the US and UK will still have to wait See? a little bit. So Thanks, Google. Finally, we get something <laughs> early. Uh, it came out on Android, definitely. Not sure about iOS. Um,
2: oh, he's, give it to him. Uh, you're taking away. <laughs> uh,
3: but if you search Pokemon in the App Store, it doesn't necessarily take you there straight away because it's so new. Um, so mm. you do you do have to start kind of find the links and go through from there but it's Mm. easy enough to find there is so much information about it it was it really made my day very exciting uh
1: that is cool i'm going to give it a go uh, on the tram ride home that sounds pretty pretty fun Um, It is a bit of a sad day for um, BlackBerry fans, um, the three of you out there um, in Australia. um, We won't be seeing you outside the Qantas Club lounge uh, playing on your phones anymore. Um, Sad news that the BlackBerry Classic uh, will be phased out. or it's officially dead. Um, in a blog post on Tuesday, BlackBerry's COO and general manager for the devices, Rolf Peeney, uh, said they decided to stop manufacturing just because they wanted to. The um, company uh, will continue to build smartphones uh, that feature state-of-the-art components, which means they must be uh, making them somewhere else or just buying them from <laughs> um, uh, some other factories uh, in China. Just portable cu- QWERTY Q- keyboard. Yeah, I-, I don't know. I kind of have a soft spot for them because I-, I thought they were a really sexy kind of device when they came out and all those people kind of poking at them with their styluses and stuff like that, I always thought it was pretty cool but um, yeah. I don't know the, the technology is pretty they
2: didn't keep it the time did they same as Nokia they were absolutely the the top of their game and the, had the saturated the market and then they just didn't evolve and then pop out comes the iPhone and out comes the, yeah and within two years Go gone gone
1: we are very excited. Uh, being um, in Melbourne and being winter, uh, we're all watching films, uh, which is what you should be doing if you are a Uh, uh In studio, we now have myth programmer Al Kosa. Uh Al, good evening.
0: Good evening. Thanks for having me. How are you tonight? Um, pretty, yeah, all over the place, I think. Our, our official launch happened last night and um, it's a couple of days of members pre-sale, so the, the website just launched and it's suddenly kind of eye-of-the-storm territory for us, so it's everything at once, but it's very, very exciting to see people responding to the the program, and it's always a bit kind of strange in you to kind of see it go out into the world for the first time every year.
1: Have you been doing like one of those movie marathons like they used to do at Hoyts, where you take your sleeping bags in and like watch (laughs) eight films back to back, or is it a bit different at MIF? I
0: feel like the whole year is a bit like that for me. Um, I'm part of the programming team, so I might watch I don't know, 600 films a year or or something like that year-round. So yeah, it's a a small group of of people. There's four in our programming team. We're supported by a number of viewers, and uh, we program right across the kind of depths of the festival Mm. um so yeah it's it's a massive undertaking year to year
1: there's a particular reason that we have you in um there is a specially curated program uh as part of the festival um there's a series of nine uh, virtual reality uh, experiences i guess rather than films uh being presented uh, on behalf of australian and international filmmakers um is this a, a new thing for you guys or um, the first time you've sort of had a, a curated um, VR presence?
0: Yeah, absolutely it is. It's it's something very new for us and I think it's very new for the world of festivals in general. We've seen you know, a number of uh, places like Sundance and Tribeca and IDFA who have been emerging in this space I think in the last year to two years and it's been really interesting to see festivals adapt to this sort of format and mode of storytelling um, as well as audience who are you know, still is experiencing this for the first time. 2016 is, is obviously a tipping point year in terms of accessibility to consumer, prosumer level technology in this space. Um, so I guess one of the very exciting things about a program like this is to see people's response to the technology for the very first time. myth, um, you know, as a festival is... is uh, kind of massive cultural event in, in terms of its span and reach there's just under 350 films um, and there's a kind of huge diversity of programming from from all around the world, there's around 510 sessions on the traditional film side of things so you know we program right from kind of broad access through to very um, experimental or formally adventurous works and so VR in terms of its storytelling uh, I guess capacity and potential is a really interesting point of diversity Um in terms of all those kinds of storytelling that we, you know, represent right across the film program.
2: I think I this experiences, like I was just saying before, off-air, which I always make the mistake of speaking, um, before the radio, the mic's on, um, that uh, I I got a good first-hand experience of this in the last couple of weeks while I was away for work, and I thought of it as being a little bit of a, like, doing a 3D glasses you'd wear watching your television I kind of thought oh it's another thing like that but once I experienced that I was like I've been showing everyone like check this mm. out like you get to have and the way that you can use the VR in, in like so many different ways mm. so whether it's interactive or it's just viewing or you're the fly on the wall or you're part of the experience like it's oh, I think it's fantastic like I'm so excited that that MIF is probably one of the first festivals to actually implement this into the festival like for film that it's I'm, i don't know if we're first or not but i'm excited to, I'm, as soon as you were on i read this oh you're on okay i gotta find out where all these are and how do, how do i get some tickets before they're all sold out so
0: <laughs> yeah well it's i mean there's a huge <clears> kind of i guess range of of different kinds of experiences that we're presenting and they're, they're happening in different ways there are a couple of experiences that are made by uh, a local company called Via Tov. Uh, mm-hmm. Oscar Raby is director, Katie Morrison as producer, um, who've already had a, a great deal of success internationally um, with these works. We've got the Australian premiere of a work called The Turning Forest. It was made in collaboration with uh, BBC Research and Development in terms of the way um, the sound was built, which was uh, it's a um, full kind of binaural um, experience that was recorded on location with a 20-microphone array. So in Terms of that spatialization yeah. of audio. And you forget that
2: viewer. as well. If you're in a 3D space, yeah. things are
0: going to be in different locations based on where you're looking. Absolutely, try and it's, work it's that out. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, and it's the the story itself is this kind of beautiful, almost kind of fairy tale, fable esque, um, uh, I guess, interaction and meeting between a couple of kids in a, in a forest and this creature. And right on the other side of the equation um, is their work, Easter Rising, which uh, pulls forward uh, a, a memory of the Irish uprising from. Nineteen sixteen um, features Liam, uh, Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones in, in a narrator role, and it's yeah, and it's, it's an extraordinary experience in, in terms of creating such a, a stylized but immersive sort of, uh, I guess, subjective experience of history and the way it really kind of encourages your curiosity uh in terms of your eye line in terms of i guess just nudging you in, in delicate ways to kind of explore the space and to kind of receive the story i think through suggestion which is the great kind of ability of directors in this space because telling a story in vr is, is something altogether different from telling a story in in film um, yeah. you know the, the exciting thing about this space is that the language of it is still being discovered, and that's something that really excites us because people are, you know, willing to experiment and they're willing to also talk and share about what they've learned um, in terms of this generation of kind of VR storytelling that we're seeing happening now. Um, and you know, you, you can see that kind of play out in in different ways. But um, we'll have a, a variety of speakers who'll be able to talk to that as well. We've got um, Jessica Brillhart, who's Google's principal VR filmmaker, who'll be in attendance. Uh, we've got Eric Dunan. From Bayabab VR, who's um, known in popular terms as the director of the Madagascar films of ants, um, and he'll be over here as well with his film uh, Invasion, which features Ethan Hawke uh, in a narrator role as well. Um, so I guess, yeah, our, you know, our intention is to showcase you know amazing work from international and Australian VR practitioners, but also to create a point of, I guess conversation and discovery for what the potential of this space is. So to that extent we're doing a full VR symposium as well as part of the festival. Um, So I I hope it's something that you know, encourages people's curiosity um, to to look at the space and to regard it in terms of its storytelling potential, and also to discover some of the really unique and interesting voices that are emerging from it already. I think as a festival, we have that curatorial role with film, and what we're looking for is you know exactly the same sort of principle within the space. You can tell a very effective kind of story yeah
1: oh that's interesting in terms of um watching 600 films a year or or whatever you do when you put on a headset or when you sort of um, go into this experience do do you think um, directors are using it well and they're using the technology well already or do you kind of look at it and put your sort of david stratton voice on and go oh well personally I, i thought that could have been better but how do you find it because you see so much cinema?
0: The really interesting thing about these things is that the viewing experience is so individual in terms of your attention is drawn to where it is drawn. So mm. I can watch this and I can have a completely different experience than the person mm. who's sitting next to me as well. Um, I think people uh, in these spaces are discovering the joy of being in an immersive environment as well. So a lot of people, you know, it, it depends how effectively the suggestion of where your attention should go and how that story develops sort of unfolds um, because a lot of people can find joy in seeing dust particles fly through the space and discovering small elements. Like I know Oculus Story Studio was talking about uh, one of their films where a lot of people were just focusing on the moon in the sky and they were mm. just sort of transfixed on it, um, maybe to the detriment of the story that was happening around it. Mm. So I think clever storytelling in the space also accounts for a certain amount of rebelliousness with the viewer, but I think I was reading something recently where someone was saying that they thought the role of the director in a VR space was to be more like a matador with a cape to kind of suggest where your attention should be at any one time and mm-hmm. in ways that could be quite clever or quite subtle. I've certainly watched VR experiences where I've actually missed the whole point of the thing at the end. I've missed a cl- climactic moment. The credits have rolled, and you kind of left there going, and, and how was I meant to react? What was meant to happen? Mm. So it's, yeah, there are, there. Are, I think, VR experiences where, unless your attention is strongly guided, but in quite subtle ways, that kind of, you know, arc of distraction can be very detrimental and destroy the story. Yeah,
1: I mean, one of the things I hate about going to the movies is when you're leaving and there's that person next to you having that conversation with someone that's like who was that guy and i thought he was dead and all that and you're like oh my god um yeah how do you kind of how do you create as um eric's going to talk about i think um a sense of communal viewing of the mm.
0: of the experience well there's a, a couple of things I can talk to on that I mean uh, one of the other ways that we're showing films or VR films within the festival um, we have a number of uh, films that are available via Samsung Gear VR headsets and we've been working with a number of um, technical partners Steve Spangaro from Worldview the whole team at Visual Playground who have been um, devising and developing essentially a sync Based kind of trigger platform for mm-hmm. us, uh, where you know eight people will be able to watch films at once. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, the the films will start and stop for people mm-hmm. at the same time. So that's a degree of community um, that we can introduce to essentially what is an individual viewing experience. Mm-hmm. It's sort of interesting to see other applications elsewhere of where you know, communality has been built. I, I was reading just in the weekend that, uh, it's sort of a non narrative film application, more of an educational one, but there was, uh, I think it was in Washington DC. There's been a bus, which has been fitted with all the windows, essentially being like a kind of a VR I've seen screen. I've seen this. Yeah. McCann did it for, um, Uh, Lockheed Martin. Yeah, right. They've fitted out. They've got a new technology where
2: it's clear. it's clear screens that you can. They then can tilt. So they went through a a tunnel, like a, a on the road, and then. T- tilted the screen so they become black so they can see it and they were all the kids are on mars exactly yeah and they yeah, and they'd mapped it out so I mean, that's a group that's a community experience which is very different because you're not actually stuck in your own world you're actually with a group of people which mm. is i'm like how do i do this like this is exactly this and is fantastic the sound this is a little. whole new thing that, yeah the sound is mm. is around you like you've not actually got headphones on its of, it's, part of the, yeah,
0: it's spatialized yeah. the actual <clears throat> space because you're meant to be in the middle of a windstorm or something yeah.
2: like that. Yeah. And I think, like what you were talking about, they, I think there's a whole new facet to directing a virtual space because you've got to make sure sh- you, you, you can't guarantee that you're keeping the attention of the viewer because they can look wherever they want. Mm. And how, you, how do you keep an audience engaged that aren't actually physically? in the same space they are but they don't see each other whereas there's there's all these new ways of doing things that are just being discovered that are going to keep getting better and better and I'm excited about it I'm kind of scared about it as well the fact that you can then go into this world that looks real because it is film and you actually can see yourself in it but. You'll well, be lost in yourself, eventually.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I was reading something the other day as well. I, I think it was by Chris Milk, maybe on Medium, and he's done TED Talks recently, that kind of thing, and he's obviously a very respected originator of, uh, you know, VR content, which is pretty seminal to today, um, you would say, and you know, the way he calls uh, virtual reality the last medium. And that, you know, when we watch a film, where amount of a certain, you know, I guess, filtration um, or interaction via a physical medium where we're investing ourselves into a story that's being told on a screen that is physically remote from us. And so when we read a book, we're aware of the letters that are are on a page. There's always that certain amount of distancing. But inside a headset, there's there's no distinction between i guess your consciousness and what's being told to you and so he's saying you know now there's that element of suspension of disbelief where we project ourselves into an empathetic state with characters and storytelling um and maybe there'll be a time in the future where the inverse is true for virtual reality where we have to remind ourselves that Mm. what we're seeing is in fact false rather than the other way around which is really interesting in and of itself i think
1: I think this was covered in the Matrix. Maybe that's yeah. the last one. <laughs> we'll speak to uh, Lily and uh, oh, I've forgotten her sister's name now. About that, the Wachowskis. Uh, so, if if you're interested, um, if you're going along to MIF this year and you and you want a different experience, what would your recommendations be? The, the one or two things that you shouldn't miss or, or you should check out.
0: Yeah, look on on the VR side, I'd really encourage people to have a look at the Australian VR filmmakers that we're profiling. Definitely, the Turning Forest and Easter, Easter Rising. Uh, there's also another uh, VR documentary called Jeffrey. Um, which is made by Melbourne-based uh, VR maker Michael Beats. And this is a VR doc that profiles um, a pretty visible local personality, uh, the titular character Geoffrey, um, who came to Australia as an African refugee, is an Australian citizen. Um, he's an anti-racism protester. You can see him outside um, on the cross of uh, Flinders and Swanson Street, outside the station pretty much every Friday afternoon uh, with a Stop Racism Now sign. It kind of looks at... Um, I guess his story in a way which is really elegant in terms of the non-fiction storytelling um, and look, in- Invasion itself as well is the Eric Donnell film which has that I guess Pixar-esque sensibility to what the animation is and it's a beautiful very fun, very cute bunnies versus alien invasion film um, and that's that's kind of a really interesting example of very developed VR storytelling It's um, they essentially kept refining it and refining it and they showed it to over 1700 people People to the point where they could see 99% of people almost responding and reacting in the same ways to all of those narrative beats. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, really cute, really fun kind of immersive experience. But it's also something that incredibly precise in terms of how that story has been developed as well
1: you will uh we are very excited now to speak to kelly takeland. uh she is general manager of code club australia and they're doing something very special uh, on july 20 uh kelly thanks for joining us tonight yeah
4: no problem warren
1: uh code club Um, They are all around the place Uh, We just noticed that um, Cassie's nephew um, My
3: brother I've got a 10-year-old brother And as soon as I found out about this I thought it was so amazing, Kelly So (laughs) I looked it up on the map And I was like, oh, where's the closest one That I could take him to And it's inside his primary school (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm mad at him for not telling me about it Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit About how this all started?
4: Yeah, so Code Club actually originated in the UK. Uh, A woman named Claire Stutcliffe had this vision of getting more kids into digital technologies by getting them interested in telling stories and making animations and building games of their own in a really accessible technology called Scratch, which teaches primary kids coding concepts, right, computer programming, um, really just accessible to everyone. And from there, um, built materials in uh, three languages, Scratch, HTML, CSS, and Python. And then um, our chairman, Annie Parker, helped bring the idea over to Australia in 2014, and we've been going gangbusters ever since.
3: That's so amazing. Uh, so when you're dealing with this, I read a little bit about the fact that you actually use the opportunity to try and alleviate some of the gender imbalances when it comes to coding and getting more women in STEM fields. Can you explain how you go about that?
4: Yeah, sure. So, look, a lot of our programs exist in places like schools or libraries or community centers where kids of all different backgrounds and socioeconomic Um, backgrounds would be coming to to learn. And so what we do at Code Club is, first of all, we present them with challenges and curriculum that are totally gender inclusive. There's um, no leaning to any gender in any of our lessons. Everything's just kind of out there for every kid to enjoy. So we don't give girls uh, lessons that have unicorns and sparkly pink things all involved, but they're more than welcome to customize their lesson according to their own interests and their own leanings. And then um, as far as getting young girls involved, Research shows that by age 12, 13, 14, girls are already kind of considering themselves out of place in uh, math competitions or science competitions, things like that. So we know that computer programming, um, using those STEM skills from age eight or nine, really captures their interest and gets them um, going in a a field that they perhaps could pursue later as a profession or deeper into their studies. A big priority of ours is to diversify technology, diversify STEM in Australia.
1: It's interesting. Uh, I noted in one of the stories uh, around the uh, upcoming um, world record attempt, um, there are a lot of uh, unsung heroes um, in space. Um, it's actually um, designed to coincide with the uh, Apollo 11 uh, landing, the, the world record attempt. Um, Margaret Hamilton, uh, who had a development of Apollo's on-flight software as an engineering director yep. uh, before founding uh, Hamilton Technologies. Uh, I wonder if there was a connection there with uh, Terminator and uh, Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a bit of a stretch. I, could be a bit of a
4: stretch. <laughs> But I think that you know, if, if you watched the the Matt Damon film, The Martian, it was the first time that I actually saw a a little bit of a nod to computer programming, co- computer programming in the space program. I really enjoyed um, seeing the different walks of life represented. There are so many different technologists and scientists that contribute to something like a space program. And one of the overlooked little facts that we're trying to bring uh, to light is the fact that the Park's Dish in uh, regional New South Wales, played such a major part in the Apollo 11 space landing in televising that to the rest of the world. The connection that the world has to the space program is very, very much um, due to those early images reaching households, um, what was it, 65, 67 years ago or so? And we really want to highlight that Australia had a major part to play in that and that Australian innovation is really... Um, in danger of falling behind um, the rest of the world if we don't start getting our kids prepared for the digital technologies um, resolution that we're already living in. Uh,
1: so, Moonhack, um, where did that idea come from? Uh, obviously, there's the, the anniversary, but um, what did you think was a good way to, to get kids involved in, uh, in coding?
4: It's a funny story. I met this guy. Um, you know, the startup community has quite a lot of characters in it. And then this guy that launched a um, a dating website, online dating website, and he told me the way he got everybody interested in his brand was he did this world's largest blind date and he was telling me about how he set a world record and it was just this great opportunity to get everybody thinking about online dating as blind dating in the modern age and he was kind of making a couple jokes about it So i went home and i just kept thinking about that like what a great idea you set a world record everybody gets involved everyone wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves but i couldn't find a whole lot of attempts around getting kids so much involved so I don't know, my research got ahead of me and the next thing you know, we're we're registering and we're doing it.
1: (laughs) Maybe they need to do a uh, world record attempt for completing your bass or something like that. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Like getting to bed on time every time, the first time your parents ask.
3: (laughs) So... Code Club Australia is now in more than 1000 schools which is very very exciting. Uh but there are actually you know 8000 primary schools across the country so you do have quite a bit of work ahead of you you said especially in regional Australia and um some other areas. But you've actually come up with innovative ways to reach regional schools or schools with problematic um online connectivity or schools where IT teachers are under resourced or perhaps they don't have IT teachers at all. Yeah. If a teacher in that area is listening, can you uh, let them know how they can actually get involved in, in yeah. Co Club and Moonhack?
4: Yeah. So um, the brilliant thing about technology like Scratch is it's available offline. Um, You do have to have an internet connection at some stage, but you can actually um, download the program to the to a computer ahead of time, and you can print out the lessons, and you can participate totally offline, which makes it really relevant to our schools that um, really are a little bit removed and feel you know that disconnect. Also, because it's a browser based program, Scratch is really accessible to lots of. computers that say adults are kind of going out, that's old out-of-state computer, but as long as it gets online, you can really um, get access to some really, really great opportunities there. Another great thing that we offer uh, through Code Club is our teacher training program. So if um, before or after Moon a teacher wants to get involved and needs a little bit of support, they should really seek out our teacher training program, which runs sessions constantly, and they're totally free, thanks to the Telstra Foundation and the Australian Federal Government
3: amazing amazing work i love to hear things that get more diversity in and and more people involved so great work on that
4: hey thanks yeah we really believe that this is for every kid in australia um and we hope that with this world record we can unite everybody under one thing that we all have in common which is a view of the moon no matter where we are
1: do you know what the uh, the current record is for most uh, kids coding at one time
4: there is no record we are actually setting the record um yeah, so we're, it's all kind of happening right here in Australia.
1: <laughs> if I had some kids, I'd get them doing it right now, just to give you something to bait.
4: Oh, spread the word! And actually, big kids can get involved too. Um, they won't count toward the record, but you can participate and help raise awareness by putting your project out on social media and come along for the ride with us, just the same.
1: Fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show tonight, and uh, we'd love to get a report on uh, on what the record is, and uh, I don't know, maybe there'll be uh, some people out there uh, ready to give it a go. <laughs> it is on the 20th of July, uh, so you do have uh, a couple of weeks um, to get ready, and uh, where, can, where can people find out more about this if they, if they want to sort of do it or get involved for the first
4: time? Yeah, just skip over to the website, that's codeclubau.org, and you can also look it up through moonhack.org
1: fantastic uh thanks very much for joining us um we're looking forward to it One of the things that um, is, uh, well, going to be a feature in our life um, pretty soon is uh, driverless cars. They are out there. They are coming. You will be queuing up outside the store to buy one. Um, One of the things that Google actually does with its uh, driverless car program is releases a report um, every month. They did actually have a uh, a rough June. Um, There were uh, a couple of uh, fender benders, but no one was hurt, Um, just a a few um, dented egos and dented bumpers, but one of the things they did actually release was um, there. I guess, features of the algorithm around cyclists. Uh, we do like to cycle here in Melbourne, so this will be quite important to us. So they've actually put that in. Um, one of the things that is a, a challenge for the driverless car program and, and the technology is cyclists are very fast, they're agile, um, and hard, hard to predict um, compared to cars and trucks and, and trams and so forth. So um, it's harder for cars to anticipate um, their movements. So what they have done um, with the LIDAR and, and the other sensors on the vehicle is um, got out there on their bikes. Um, Apparently, that's what the Googlers do. Um, There's a great um, graphic in this article on TechCrunch of um, 30 people riding their bike around a car, trying to confuse it um, in a circle. It's it's good. They're they're kind of doing it in a very physical way. Um, So they tracked the bikes individually um, and then predicted a path for it and, um, yeah, um, maybe freaked the car out a little bit. Um, they're actually uh, given cyclists are actually given extra room uh, when they're detected, so they have a full lane uh, to themselves, which is great. I wish some Melbourne drivers would do that uh, for cyclists uh, and motorcyclists.
2: I like the fact that they call it. The, they're trying not to let the cars AI, AI have an anxiety attack.
1: Yes, <laughs> I'd be very concerned if that actually was in the software um, anxiety with anxiety flashing on the dash. Um, you'd stop your knitting in the back seat, wouldn't you? Um, hand signals are, are also seen, which is um, really impressive and understood and taken into account. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's interesting. There, it could very easily be an afterthought um, for something like this, but it seems like they're paying attention.
2: I mean, they're very thorough, aren't they? And they're not releasing really anything specifically uh, straight away how long have they been doing this sort of technology uh, this is the first one from a decade ago they're still still honing in um, working out the right algorithms right way to do it Um,
1: unlike Tesla I'm like, Tesla, what's. what's well, i say ways here? aren't
2: quite as good as yours, but I just thought. Um, the, it was a few months ago now that. Uh, it was a few months or a few weeks ago that uh, there was a, uh, a gentleman in, in America that. I
1: don't actually know about this one. Uh, so he he, di- one. he
2: uh, That died while watching Harry Potter in, in his Tesla because oh. it didn't detect the truck and he, he basically had a, had a collision. And uh, I'm. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it was something to do with the white... Uh, it was a white truck in a white...
1: Oh, in a snowstorm, and, yeah.
2: and they didn't detect it. Um, so... The what happened was that 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 happened, and then within a few days, uh, Tesla had a massive uh, uh, flash sale of their stock, which then sold to make billions of dollars. And before, and they didn't announce that this happened as well. And then when when they uh, contacted Elon Musk, he was saying it was because he didn't think it was valid because the distance that all of these driverless so self driving cars had travelled was much was far greater than the average. A distance before an incident. Mm. So he was kind of right, That was kind of a. I don't
1: know. A strange coincidence. Contra- yeah. Um, one of the things that we should point out about that was it wasn't a fully automated car. Um, the Tesla in question was actually uh, in a situation involving assisted driver technologies, so a little bit like cruise control or assisted steering. or whatever. Yeah, if you're you. knitting in the
2: back seat, then you probably should
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get the Google car and, and yep. a few cyclist buddies. Um, speaking of interesting tech, you've you've been on a, a tech field trip recently. Um, what, what are some of the things that caught your eye as you were uh, yeah. uh, afar?
2: So I was uh, uh, I was um, over in Can uh, Canleon on the French Air, which sounds very um, elegant and uh, mm. adventurous, which it was. But uh, I was uh, judging the uh, digital craft and UX for uh, representing Australia, and uh, I spent six days in a room with no windows, for mm. eighteen hours a day. That's, that's prison, James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it felt like it at some point, but it oh. was. I was. I was being entertained. I was watching a lot of two-minute videos about okay. uh, lots of technology. The, that's why I was really excited about the VR stuff that came through because there was a lot of VR, and I was judging on the VR. Mm-hmm. I got to experience some things firsthand, uh, mm-hmm. like landing on the moon it, oh. from the movie The Martian. Yeah, wow! Um, in a chair that made you feel like you're actually floating, which was uh, amazing. I did wow. feel quite, I did get nauseous for three hours afterwards. I got big travel sick. I got to play. That wasn't the spritzers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, they were handing me cocktails. Right. <laughs> um, that there was, that it was quite a big thing. And what I noticed was also there's a lot of different ways of thinking about things that are globally that we're not doing in Australia that I just didn't even think of, and that because I'm not exposed to it, which is mm-hmm. an interesting point. Um, and VR is being implemented in all different ways across. And it, it's already a done deal most of the, most locations. Mm. Um, I've come back with uh, a lot of phone uh, apps on my phone to try things out and to show people, just mm. because I was impressed as well.
1: Yeah. Um, Cass and I just want to know when can we pack cats uh, <laughs> with the VR headset? There is a
2: that you can yeah. you can have a virtual cat that you can and if you hold up your phone uh, the app well, you'd hold up your phone and it would put a cat on wherever oh, you were that's and, what you we could, want. and you could pat it and and feed it it was quite like this it was an, right. it, it was it's i don't know if it, i don't have it on my phone yeah but um i thought that was quite entertaining
1: my cat's got the cat little bug <laughs> on, on that app you have to do that in real life
2: um, what else? There was one that was a, there was some that were doing VRs, very, very basic, where you could hold a money, you basically held money in front of the camera and it would play the music, and it, cause it was about got money, was the song. <laughs> um, it didn't do so well. Um.
3: That's the kind of irritating app that I need in my life, but, uh, I don't yeah. think I'd have enough to hold up in front of. It's it, something so. you pull
2: out at 11 o'clock at night, when before last drinks, just to show your friends. <laughs> Um, but there was some amazing stuff i met some amazing people i actually met the people that were behind that uh, that that tr- the bus that from McCann um, who were also on the jury which is an amazing thing there was an app for um uh, by, uh for the Super Bowl, which is about that was the very first one on Snapchat where you could pour uh, water, you could pour the Gatorade o- over over yourself in oh. the in the app. It was the very first time that ever been done on Snapchat, and it had more views than the Super Bowl. That's how successful it was. So it's getting it's sort of integrated across social media, across mm. the, being able to sit on stage in a concert next Hi. to your hero.
1: Mm.
2: I'm I'm all for that. Uh, of course, it was you too that started that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it was automatically
2: downloaded to your headset and, and you went of And it to was, yeah, automatically downloaded to it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, so there was some, I, I mean, like, oh, the list would go on. I, there was 39 applicants just in my category. Mm. Um, we had to whittle that down to 130 and then from there mm. had to whittle that down to about 20 mm. to win,
1: I remember um, one of the criticisms kind of leveled at South by Southwest um, in the past year or two is there hasn't been a breakthrough moment. There hasn't been a Twitter or, or you know, something mm. like that that's come out. What was your feeling on kind of – was technology a lot more mainstream this year? Was it kind of like, yeah, we know those kinds of things? Or did it feel like a breakthrough year?
2: Uh, the breakthrough year was because we were the first to do this category. It was yep. the first time that they'd introduced it. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, big picture. Like, big you know, picture. The was world the, changing... I think the, the movie – the, the VR was the biggest and yeah. using it in different ways. Where yeah. so, sort of, sort of Samsung were doing a good push and mm-hmm. promoting a lot of different things. They did um, uh, the VR for having sort of distance, having a conversation, it's like the Skype, mm-hmm. but in the VR world oh, that's cool. Um, and be able to the new movie stuff. So, they brought um, Google sponsored um, with the Mill in London a VR movie called Help. Uh, on store on on a, a app, that you can call Google Stories, mm-hmm. uh, where you could actually be part of the actual movie and sit and explore, enjoy it. So there was that was sort of one of those wow wow moments. Yeah, Um once you get yeah. your hands on
1: it. Yeah. It is almost time for us to go. Uh, we've had a lot of fun on the show tonight. We could definitely speak to station management about getting an extra hour. Uh, we will do that. <laughs> uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our guests, uh, Al Kossar and Kelly Tagelain. Uh Shout out to our podcaster, uh, Justin Petch for uh, his uh, tireless efforts. Uh, we've been bought into it, and we'll be back next Wednesday evening. Have a great night.